Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to Jacob's Cabin. This is Anna in Indiana, your host, and I'm sure you are all very excited to talk about the episode, The Life and Death of Jeremy Bentham, an episode that we've been looking forward to for a long time. I have a few things to go over as sort of preliminaries before we jump into the episode. Um, One thing is a correction about something I said on last week's podcast, and Denise brought it up a little bit in our discussion, but there were some good comments about this on the blog, annainindiana.wordpress.com, and it was about the comic book that Hurley was looking at, which was called Why the Last Man, and I just translated the title and didn't really think about it because I know nothing about comic books, so I'm glad that some of you out there have more knowledge than me. You pointed out that this is Why the Last Man by Brian K. Vaughn, who is a lost writer, and the story is that every male mammal on the planet dies, except for a man named Yorick and his pet monkey Ampersand. And Ann Beth and Ian both commented extensively on this, and Ian says that he recommends it. Even for people who aren't really into comic books, maybe this could be an introduction for us who know nothing about comic books to get into um, those sorts of things. So it might be something to check out if you're interested in that. Something else I wanted to mention from the blog was a few days ago I posted a limerick that one of my coworkers wrote for me. And it's a, it's a clever limerick, and it's even more interesting because my coworker has only watched the first few episodes of Lost. She's from Oahu, and she doesn't really feel like she can get into the story because she keeps thinking, well, I know someone who lives down the road from there, why don't you just go ask for help there? And uh, hasn't been able to get into the story, but she hears us talk about Lost all the time, and so she was able to write a little limerick about Kate. So if you're interested, stop by the blog and check that out. And I also wanted to give a shout out to Heath and Miss Wendy at the Lost Revisited podcast. They do a great podcast where they talk about theories and ideas and go really in depth with everything Lost related. And I just wanted to give them a shout out. I got in touch with them last week after listening to their podcast for the first time. I know I'm kind of slow getting around to listening to everyone on the Lost Podcasting Network, but there are lots of other podcasts out there that are definitely worth checking out. Um, If you aren't familiar with the Lost Podcasting Network, you can go to lostcasts.blogspot.com and browse around there, or you can sign up for the Lost Podcasting Network feed in iTunes. And certainly don't be afraid to get in touch with any of the Lost Podcasters. We're all pretty friendly people. Uh, Heath and Wendy were very friendly when I emailed them last week, so please just get in touch, even if it's just to say, hey, I'm listening. That's great. We love to hear that as well. Now this week I've got something really interesting to share with you guys. It's another diary entry. Um, We've heard a diary entry from the island before, but this diary is actually from a wheelchair. It's a very interesting perspective, so here it is. Dear Diary, What an interesting few days I've had. Honestly, I've lost track of how many days have gone by, but it's been long enough for me to travel to some desert-filled African country. 
I had been in a medical supply store in Tripoli, just sitting between the oxygen tanks and the walkers, praying for something to change. I had been there for months before that tall man with concave cheeks purchased me. On my way out the door I caught a glimpse of myself in the glass, and I am quite the handsome black wheelchair, if I do say so myself. Those red crossbars beneath my seat do tend to give me a somewhat ominous look. Maybe that's why the bald guy, with the broken leg, looked at me with such suspicion and, dare I say, spite? Anyhow, at present we are traveling, so I am in the back of an SUV with plenty of time to write down my thoughts. Oh, wait, I think we're pulling up to an airport now. Dear Diary, yours truly is becoming quite the world traveler. In the past few days we've traveled so much that I haven't had the opportunity to write, but after a layover in Europe we ended up in the Dominican Republic for a few days, and then on to the Big Apple. Yes, New York City. Ah, there's nothing quite like the big city. We didn't do much sightseeing, but just being there was good enough for me, dear diary. The people watching is fantastic. My broken-legged passenger seemed to just be interested in people watching too, but then one of the people recognized him, and they had a nice little chat after which we left town. But I've gotten ahead of myself and haven't said anything about La República Dominicana. A lovely yet rustic place, and again my bald passenger met with someone who seemed to be an old friend, although they did not talk for very long. However, my passenger always talks with such feeling, with such earnestness, I believe he must have the very best intentions. I try to be the best, most helpful wheelchair that I can be, and I know he must appreciate it, though he never says so, yet I believe we are becoming friends. Dear Diary, Ah, the West Coast! I thought our other destinations were wonderful, but this? This is a sort of paradise. The scenery, at least, is wonderful, although the people we visited haven't been so welcoming. A very pretty woman seemed on the verge of tears when we visited her, and the big guy with curly hair ran away from us in obvious distress. I hope it wasn't something I did. Oh, dear. Dear Diary, I am confused and sad. Today we visited a gravesite which seemed very significant to my broken-legged passenger, and moved me almost to tears. Suffice it to say, I was already in such an emotional state that when the tall man with concave cheeks got shot, just after he placed me in the trunk of the car, I burst into tears and cried so hard that I barely noticed when we got into a terrible traffic accident. My paint got scratched a little, but that was nothing compared to what my poor passenger went through. Dear Diary, it is with the heaviest of hearts that I write my final entry. Diaries should be light-hearted and interesting, yet my life seems to be wrought with pain and difficulties. My dear, beloved, bald-headed, broken-legged passenger was murdered, and this was after he almost committed suicide, while I looked on and could do nothing, nothing. Oh, dear diary, I felt so helpless. I tried to yell, but barely a squeak issued from my well-oiled wheels. And then that malicious man came in, pretended to be friendly towards my bald passenger, may he rest in peace, and strangled him. Then he sprayed me down with some noxious, no doubt toxic cleaning solution, and left me to stare at my passenger's sad shadow cast against the wall. Oh, dear diary, what shall I do? I have nothing left to live for. The Life and Death of Jeremy Bentham. What an excellent episode of Lost. We got so many answers, and yet I still have so many questions. There was so much that was revealed to us, the dialogue was taking place so quickly, and everything they said seemed so important that trying to take notes was really hard. I ended up writing down conversations almost word for word, because everything seemed so significant. And then there are the themes of trust and manipulation. Is Locke still being manipulated? Is he being manipulated by both Ben and Widmore? They both claim that they want the same thing for him. They both claim that they want him to lead the island, that he's the one who's important and he's supposed to be the leader. 
but I'm afraid that both of them must have ulterior motives, and then there's the theme of trust. Who can we trust as the viewer? I tend to trust Ben, and I can't really say why it's more of just a gut feeling that I want to trust Ben, because we've known him so long, we've seen his side of things, and yet I know that some people also want to trust Widmore, because he seems to be less selfish, or he seems to be the one who's been wronged through all of this. And then thinking about these issues of trust made me wonder, why do we trust people like Richard Alpert? Why do we tend to trust Christian Shepherd? Why do we trust him when he says, that's why it's called a sacrifice, and this is what you need to do, and you're the one who's meant to do it? We don't really have a lot of proof that they're even on the right side. Um, and if this war that Widmore's talking about does break out, between apparently between Widmore and Ben's people, at this point I have no idea whose side to be on. This episode brought a lot of questions to my mind, so I'm just going to run through, talk through a few of those. The first thing I wondered after this episode was, if they're there in, say, 2008, and they haven't been able to fix it so that all the people who are stuck in the past come to the present, would they run into versions of those people, like Jin and Sawyer, would they run into versions of those people as 60, 65-year-old versions of themselves? And I think the answer is no. I think as long as they go back in the past and are able to fix things and bring these people to the present, they won't have that problem of running into, um, running into older versions of themselves that have been on the island for 30 years or however long. Another question, why is John Locke the one who's so important? He seems to be the crucial piece in the puzzle of winning this war that's supposedly going to take place on the island. Or is this all just part of the scheming and the manipulation of Ben and of Widmore to get him to think that he's so important, but just to achieve their own goals instead through that? And Widmore's explanation of why Locke is special just didn't cut it for me. Locke says, what makes you think I'm so special? And Widmore says, because you are. That's not an explanation. It's not a reason. It's not something like, because Jacob said you were, or Jacob said you were supposed to be our leader, or you were appointed, or here's some signs. You picked the right items when Richard Albert came to you. There's no proof. It's just Widmore saying this to try to make Locke feel good about himself, and he falls for it. Here's another question. How trustworthy was Matthew Abaddon? We've seen him play lots of parts before. He's pretended to be a lawyer. He's pretended to be an orderly. Now he's pretending to be a chauffeur for John Locke, when it's obvious he's so much more than that, and he's more important to Charles Widmore than just some sort of errand boy. And he lied to John Locke about Helen, and whether or not he could find her. He said he couldn't find her, when he probably knew where she was all along. He just didn't want to tell Locke for some reason. I don't think he's very trustworthy. Um, and then, for Locke... He questions whether or not Helen would have died if they had been together, and I was wondering why he would question that, because, I mean, a brain aneurysm isn't always something that you can prevent or um, know about. And so I think maybe he thought she would have gone to the island with him if they had been together, that somehow, even though he probably wouldn't have been on this solo journey to go on this walkabout, maybe they would have been together somehow, and maybe gone on the walkabout together or done something else together that would involve them flying on a route that would take them past the island and something would happen, you know, if John really is this important person to the island, then of course something would have to happen to bring him there. And then if she had been there, then the brain aneurysm would have healed and she wouldn't have died. Maybe that's what he was thinking when he said that. I'm going to repeat a question from last week, which did not get answered. How did Miss Hawking get John Locke's suicide note? And how did she know so much about him when she had never 
met him before. He hadn't been to see her yet, I don't think. He talked about her name like, oh, there's this person out there, but I haven't really met her. And Ben didn't seem to take the suicide note. I'm not sure if he even found the note. He got Jin's ring, and it was clear that the ring was sitting there on top of the passport. It seemed like all the important things that belonged to Locke that we knew about were right there. The note was not there. So I don't know if Miss Hawking heard about this from Ben, if they're really working together and... Um, at least working together more so than they seemed to be in the previous episode. So maybe she got the news from Ben about Locke's death and went to um, look around and see if Ben had missed anything. Oh, and going back to the topic of Matthew Abaddon, how did he get to Tunisia so fast? Does he just stay there all the time and wait for people to come through? But it seems like nobody has probably come through the exit for the frozen donkey wheel since... Widmore himself did, so I'm thinking maybe Widmore came through the exit, set up this watch in case anybody else came through, because he would probably think the next person to come through might be Ben. And then also, why did Ben end up somewhere else? He didn't end up in front of that fence with cameras trained on him. He, uh, I guess got bumped somewhere else because Locke was coming through right behind him? I'm not sure. Also, this sort of throws a little kink in my theory from last week. I had that theory that I talked about with Denise that, um, when... Ben turned the wheel, he kind of got stuck inside of it until Locke turned it and fixed it and it spit him out 10 months later. So I was expecting Locke to come out 10 months later, uh, like come through in real time, uh, real time passing, but he came out three years later. So where was he for three years? And what's the explanation for that? And what's the explanation for why Ben came out in only 10 months? And speaking of getting places, I find it really interesting that Saeed who was so intent on staying where he was and doing what he was doing, he thought, oh, I'm doing something good, you know, and I'm done with Ben, I'm not going to be involved in any of that anymore, not going back to the island. As soon as Locke's dead, he's there at Santa Rosa breaking Hurley out and saying it's not safe, we have to go to a safe place, and they said it was suicide, meaning he doesn't really trust them. What changed his mind, and how did he even know about Locke's death? I mean, he's a continent away, practically, from where Locke was, and does this mean that Saeed has people watching Ben, or that someone else got in touch with Saeed about this? The whole thing seems very, um, very unusual. Um, now, Walt went to visit Hurley after Locke visited him, apparently after Locke visited both of them, and so this put into my mind the idea that maybe Walt was still on the West Coast. That's a long trip to take just to go and turn around and fly back the same day, um, with his grandmother, and so maybe Walt was still out there. Maybe he did get recruited somehow to go on the plane. I'm still hoping, still hoping that we'll see a little more about Walt. Um, as far as Walt not being so worried about Michael, his grandmother had been taking care of him, and he wasn't supposed to see his dad, so I don't think that three years of silence was that unusual. I mean, it's sad, but I don't think that it was so strange that Walt would start questioning his dad's safety and stuff. Another thought that occurred to me is maybe the ghost of Locke is the one that appeared to Kate and Saeed and Hurley to try to convince them to be on the plane and to tell them when to be there. Um, Locke doesn't seem to remember anything between dying and then waking up on the island, which is really interesting. Um, but maybe his ghost, his Christian Shepherd-type ghost, was going around visiting these people to tell them what to do. As for the people on the island, I think uh, Caesar is seeming a little suspicious. Um, a lot of people are speculating that he's one of Widmore's 
people, and it was really interesting when Locke was looking at, at the wounded people, and he saw Ben, and Caesar asked him, do you know this man? And it was Ben, of course, and so I wonder if Caesar had a particular interest in Ben, and he was asking to see if Locke would admit to knowing Ben, or if he could get him to positively identify him as Benjamin Linus. And another thought about the people on the island. They've got those boats, but I think they should just stay on the Hydra Island. They've got power, they've probably got food, they've probably got beds there, they've got everything they need there. I think they should stay and not try to go back to the other island where there's not very much and there's a smoke monster and, I mean, there's just a lot of benefits for staying on the Hydra Island. One final question and one final thought, and then we'll move on to hear what you guys said about this episode. The final question I want to ask is, why does Locke seem to assume that if he gets one of the Oceanic Six to go back, the rest will go? That's sort of implied twice, once in something that he says and once in something that um, someone else says, I think Ben. They just seem to assume, well, if I get one, the rest will come afterwards. Why? How is that going to work? It does seem to work because Jack is the only one who really believed and everyone else somehow ended up on the plane. But it's pretty mysterious. And then my closing thought is Said speaks Spanish. That was very interesting, and add that to a long list of languages that these people speak. I, I made a quick list of the ones that I could think of. You've got Charlotte with her Korean and her joke about Klingon. You've got Jin, who probably speaks pretty good English by this point. You've got Sun, who learned English without telling Jin. You've got Miss Clue, who spoke Russian, which seemed kind of out of place for her. You've got Said speaking Spanish now. You've got all the others who apparently know how to speak Latin. You've got Faraday and Bernard who know Morse code. And you've got Miles, he just talks to dead people. I'm not sure if that really counts as a language or not, but there's a lot of communication um, through different means, different methods going on here. And that's just interesting to note. So that closes out my thoughts for uh, right now. Um, Denise will be in later, of course, and we'll talk about the episode in a little bit more depth. But now we're going to move on and hear what you guys were saying about this episode. voicemail we're going to listen to comes from Alex in Boston. He sent in this voicemail after last week's podcast, but before this episode, The Life and Death of Jeremy Bentham, aired. So some of these things that he wasn't expecting to find out so soon, we actually know from um, this episode. So um, I'm just going to play the voicemail and then comment on it a little bit. Hi, Anna from Indiana. This is Alex from Boston, Massachusetts. First wanted to say I enjoy your podcast. It's a great new addition to the Lost community. Uh, I wanted to throw out a theory for you um, based on 316 um, concerning the direction of the show, where I think it's going to go structurally. Um, specifically, we see on the island after the crash Jack, Kate, and Hurley. We don't see Ben, Saeed, and the other folks on the plane. So the question is, where are they and when are they going to show up? And so this is the theory, basically. Um, Mrs. Hawking said that there could be complications if everyone isn't there. So we presume there are complications. It may be the complications are that um, Kate, Jack, and Hurley are in the 1970s or 1980s with Dharma. 
However, there might also be complications concerning where Ben et al. went. Um, and the theory is that they went to a different time frame, um, either in the future or in the past. And if I had to guess, this is sort of a wild guess, but I think it might come true, they went sort of deep into the past. Uh, and I think the way the season will play out is we're not going to see Saeed and Ben on island for the rest of the season. Uh, we will see them in flashbacks. We'll see the flashback events of 316, Ben getting beat up um, and so forth, and Hurley getting out of jail. Uh, we will see that during this season, but we will not see any of them on island. We'll simply wonder what happened to them. And then at the end of the series, uh, we'll have the usual bomb drop. I'm sorry, at the end of the season, we'll have the usual bomb drop that occurs at the end of the season. And we will see Ben and Saeed and those other folks way in the past, possibly even uh, with a four-toed statue that is complete, uh, hopefully not Homer Simpson. Uh, but so that's the theory, that basically we're not going to see um, the other folks on the plane for the rest of the season other than in flashback and that they are, in fact, in a different uh, time frame than uh, Jack Hurley and Saeed. So let me know what you think, and I'd be curious to know if you think there's any other evidence for this theory. Thanks, Anna. Bye. Well, Alex, I guess we got some answers for you sooner than you thought. I mean, I, I would have liked your theory if it hadn't been misproven in this episode. I think we can figure out from seeing Ben and Locke and where they are um, that they're in the present to future, by which I mean somewhere between 2004 and 2008, probably probably just present day 2008 when they were flying back, which I think we can be pretty confident about because of the fact that the boats were there, and we've seen those outrigger boats before with the Ajira water bottle in it, and that was over on the other beach by the beach camp, and um, the fact that the beach camp was there, and that it looked sort of abandoned, like it like no one had been there for a while and all the beer was gone when Sawyer was looking for a beer. Um, that kind of gives us a hint to what time we're looking at there. Um, but yeah, I hope we get back to the four-toed statue or at least get the story somehow. For Saeed, I'm not sure where he is or Sun either. Those are the two of the Oceanic Five that we haven't seen yet and we don't know what time they're in. I think it's suspicious that Frank Lapidus ran away with some woman and took one of the boats. Um, my guess is that that's Sun, and if it is, then this is the reason I think that she wouldn't have flashed back to the time of the Dharma Initiative with everyone else. I think it would be because she was sort of in the plane under different circumstances than everyone else. Jack was there because he had faith, and Hurley and Saeed and... Kate were there because something had convinced them to believe in what they were doing, but Sun was there for selfish reasons. She wants to go find her husband. Not that that's entirely a bad thing, but she's not there because she believes in this, she believes in the island. She's, this, she's just there because she wants to go there, find her husband, rescue him, and get out of there. So she's going with a different sort of motivation, and that's the only difference that I can think of off the top of my head that would make any sort of difference as to why she stayed in the present and didn't go back to the past. Hi, Anna. This is Logic from uh, Illinois. Uh, just want to say, great episode. I was really looking forward to this one for a very long time, and it delivered um, uh, in full. It was just uh, probably, uh, once again... Probably one of the best episodes of this season, you know, that old gag. But um, 
I had a few uh, questions, comments, or thoughts to uh, throw out here uh, after watching the episode. One is, um, is Caesar special? Uh, we see him on the uh, uh, plane, and he says that he uh, saw Hurley uh, uh, disappear, but before he disappeared, there was a flash of light. Uh, in all the other uh, time flashes, there was only um, the, the people disappearing without the flash of light. The only time we know that uh, someone recognized the flash of light was uh, Desmond, because uh, he's special. But then again, uh, how special does that make Desmond if uh, some other guy is just as special to see the light? But uh, I don't know. Uh, I think they would have wrote it into just saying uh, he disappeared, but they intentionally put there was a flash of light and he disappeared. Also, uh, another thought, uh, Ben, uh, would he have murdered Locke if he didn't mention Hawking? I think that uh, he almost seemed to uh, uh, let him go and let him off the hook, but there was this thing of uh, you're going to take my place and you really are special because uh, uh, Christian told you about uh, uh, Hawking, so now I'm going to have to kill you, similar to uh, when he shot Locke and threw him into the uh, the Dharma Initiative uh, pit in uh, the Season 3 finale. Or wasn't I think it was before the finale, and then finally uh, Walt. Uh, I think uh, Locke didn't ask Walt to return just because he knew how hard of a life uh, Walt was going to have. But um, I certainly didn't get the answer or the question I wanted to get, which was um, uh, John addressing uh, Taller Ghost Walt appearing to Walt. I guess we can. Uh, uh, assume that these were Walt's dreams, and in Walt's dreams he appears places, but uh, I really would have wished uh, John would have at least said, uh, hey, remember when I was uh, dying in a pit and you appeared? Do you, do you remember that? Was that a dream? Were you really there? Were you an apparition? You know, just kind of clear that up, but um, with so many uh, questions being answered, I have a feeling that they're going to uh, answer all the questions that we actually have. I have uh, total confidence in Lost again. It's very nice. All right, I've rambled on too long. I'll talk to you later. Thanks for calling in, Coke Logic, with those really excellent theories. I liked all of them. For your first one, is Caesar special? Um, can he maybe see the flash of light while other passengers can't? I'm not sure if we really have evidence that he's the only one who saw the flash of light, so I tend to not quite go with that one as much, um, but it's still an interesting thought. If there is something special about him, maybe he was born on the island too. Um, and then your second theory, would Ben have murdered Locke if Locke hadn't mentioned Hawking? I tend to think so. I think he was gearing up to kill Locke no matter what. He was asking a lot of questions to get certain information out of Locke. And when he found out about Jin and the wedding ring, you could just see the look on his face said, I can use this information. You know, it wasn't, oh, sympathy for Jin. Isn't Jin a great husband? Isn't Sun going to miss Jin? It was, I can exploit this. That was the look on his face. And so I think he was just waiting until he got all the information he needed from Locke before he murdered him. But I think he would have done it regardless of whether or not Locke mentioned Eloise Hawking. Maybe that was the final straw that kind of um, helped Ben, I don't know, get the anger or the whatever he needed to commit a murder. Um, 
And then your question about Walt. Why didn't Locke ask him about taller ghost Walt appearing to him? That is a great question. There seemed to be a lot of things that they could have talked about that they didn't. Um, lots of questions still left unanswered. And of course, Walt had those dreams about Locke that Locke just basically brushed aside and said, okay, they're just dreams. But I wonder if Locke realized how true they were once he got back to the island. And I hope he remembered those once he was standing there in the island with the suit. Um, but if he did remember, it's strange that he was being so open with the people all around him. That tends to be the kind of person he is anyway. But if Locke had told him there are people around you who want to hurt you and you're going to be in this situation standing in the water in a suit, you'd think Locke would be a little more cautious about who he trusts. He seems to be very trusting of these people who he's just met and doesn't even know. And our third and final voicemail this week comes from Donald from the Donald is Lost podcast. Hello, Anna Montana. This is Donald from the Donald is Lost podcast right down the hall. Uh, I'm calling. I'm outside, so I hope the wind isn't bothering you, but I'm calling because I had a huge problem with Locke's resurrection. I enjoyed the episode as a whole, you know, despite most of it being things that we already knew. You know, we knew everyone would not go along with Locke, so it's not really a big of a surprise, but it was something given to the fans to show us, you know, this is what happened. This is what Locke had to go through, and this is what led to his death. And I enjoyed it, but I think the whole Locke resurrection thing could have used a little more setup. You know, don't show us a coffin in season three and set up this huge death and say that dead is dead and go through all these links to, to make us realize and, and make us care about these characters and then show us that, you know, when you die, you're, you're really dead and you have to, you can't take that for granted and then just all of a sudden have the guy eating a mango on the beach. Uh, I just, I had a problem with that. Now, maybe there's more to be seen, but are they going to go into that whole what happens when you die thing or are they just going to leave it as Locke doesn't remember? because they could really piss some people off with the whole religion thing if they either, say for say for instance, they say, well, I was in heaven. If Locke says, I was in heaven, then, you know, it could piss some people off. But uh, I think they, they need to go with this. They need to tell us more about what happened. You know, why is Locke special? I don't want this to see the whole crowd of, well, Desmond's special and Locke is special, so rules don't apply to them. I think we need a little bit more to go on than that. I'm sorry I'm babbling, but... um. I'm kind of mad, but maybe I'll get over it. Can't wait to hear what you think. I hope you don't have me confused with someone else, Donald. This is Anna in Indiana, not Anna Montana. But I guess I'll answer your question anyway. And at least I'm not Anna in Louisiana. Just kidding. I'm sure Louisiana's a great place. I've never been there, but I'm sure it's wonderful. So, Locke's resurrection. Are we going to get to find out more about it? I really hope so. I, I definitely agree with you on that. So far, we've seen him in the casket, and then all of a sudden, he's just standing there on the beach, and he's fine. Um, it'd be really interesting to see what actually happens. Does he get visited by Christian, and Christian says, it's time for you to get up now, you have work to do, or something like that? Um, does he fall out of the plane somehow? Um, how would he get out of the cargo hold? I'm assuming he's somewhere in the cargo hold. And would the casket just fly open and he's alive, or... I, I don't know how it would work. Did he fall into the water and that's why he was standing there when they found him? Or just how did all this happen? I don't know. And I think you also have an interesting point about what happened when he died. He seems to just not remember anything. So basically the writers are telling us there's no heaven. You know, he doesn't remember going to heaven. Maybe there's also no hell. He doesn't remember that either. He doesn't remember any sort of um, state of being in between the time he died 
and the time he basically rose from the dead. And we could conclude that they're saying there's no afterlife, or we could conclude that they're saying Locke wasn't 100% dead, he was just mostly dead, or since the island wasn't done with him, he wasn't dead to the point where he couldn't come back, and he couldn't come back and say, oh, I've had this experience in heaven, I saw God face to face, or something like that. He just had an experience where he was just sort of unconscious for a few days, and then the island sort of revived him. So... Yeah, those are really interesting questions to think about, and I hope we do get to see a little bit more of that. You also bring up a good point about how are religious people going to take this, because we have an example in the Bible of someone rising from the dead, and that's Jesus. And Jesus um, is a very different person from John Locke, and so to draw such a close parallel between them, yeah, I'd say it makes me a little bit nervous, and it might make other people nervous as well. Um, Locke is such a flawed person that it, it does sort of seem wrong comparing him to Jesus in some ways. Um, if anyone else has thoughts about that, I, I would really be interested to hear what you think. Um, please feel free to write in or call in um, talking about Locke's resurrection and different aspects of that. And those are the voicemails we have for this week, so let's move on to some of the emails and comments on the blog. Kelly wrote in for the first time to say, I believe Caesar is a Woodmore plant. In the opening scene, he was looking around that station with a purpose. He didn't seem surprised to see the shotgun under the desk, and he hid it from the woman and waved the flashlight at her like a red herring. Going back to 316, he seemed keen on making himself known to Jack by giving his condolences. I'm guessing Woodmore probably told him about the Oceanic Six and this special trip. Now I believe the woman is a Ben plant. Why would Caesar not share with her what he found in the Hydra station? She seemed to be grilling Locke on the beach, and she brought back Saeed, who vowed not to go back by any means. Knowing Saeed has a soft spot for women, she probably was able to sedate Saeed without a gun or dart. Once he came to, she had him in cuffs and was marching him onto the plane. Kelly, I do like your theories, and I, I'm kind of thinking the same way that you are, that maybe one of them's a Ben plant and one of them's a Widmore plant. I mean, this is sort of like a precursor to these two armies for the supposed war that's going to take place. Um, they both seem to be spies, and they're both asking a lot of questions and kind of sneaking around, snooping around places. Um, I think Caesar was in Ben's office, and so I wonder if he knew that he was in Ben Linus's office. He seems very curious about... Ben, when uh, Locke goes and looks at him when he's wounded, in the room with all the wounded people. So, um, I guess we'll probably find out more about these people pretty soon. Michael wrote in with a few comments about Jin, and uh, seems to be kind of concerned about him speaking English, and says, if he can speak English fluently, how would you feel about it, and how do you think it'd affect his relationships with the other characters? Personally, I'd be a bit disappointed if Jin is fluent in English now, as the language barrier was a great plot device for creating extra tension, and it was one of the things that made the viewers sympathize with Jin back in Season 1. Well, Michael, I think I would say that, yes, it served as a very useful plot device, and yeah, we definitely do have to sympathize with him a lot and his inability to communicate. We've also seen him start to pick up English and start to grow in that, um, which is great. And I think that him not speaking English now would kind of hold back everything. You know, I think they're kind of beyond the point where that really needs to be an issue. We're, we're so much more involved with the characters that... Um, we want to see them move forward, and if that means Jin speaking English, I'm okay with that. It will definitely affect his relationship with being able to communicate with others. He seemed to have a lot of good knowledge back in Korea. He was a business worker, and he knew how to get things done, and he had a lot of good ideas. And if he had been able to communicate some of these things, or be involved in some of the planning in earlier seasons, then, you know, maybe some things would have happened differently, or, or plans would have gone off better. And so, um, I think... 
yes, it'll affect his relationship with other characters. They'll kind of have to learn how to interact with him all over again, and Sun will too, for certain. Um, but I think that overall, I think it'll be a positive thing for Jin and for the whole group of Losties. Clara emailed in this week with a bunch of questions and theories. She says, I pretty well saw Ben killing Locke when he came in, but somehow I still believe he is better than Widmore. I'm with you, Clara. I think I still trust Alpert over them all, so you kind of have to go along with Ben if you do that. Yeah, that's also true. Why aren't they, the on-islanders, on Jacob's list? Does it have to do with them not leaving the island? Is Christian really dead now that Locke seems to have taken his place? Maybe Widmore took Aaron and told Kate she had to go back to see him again. And why does Eloise Hawking matter to Ben? I don't think he intended to kill Locke until he heard her name. I think she had something to do with Widmore on the island, and so Ben is killing any link Widmore might have to get back to the island. Thanks for sending in your thoughts and questions, Clara. I think it's interesting that you, along with Coke Logic and his voicemail, you guys both thought that Eloise Hawking's name is the thing that changed Ben's mind and made him kill Locke. I hadn't been looking at it that way at all, but that's interesting that you both thought that. It's also interesting that you bring up the possibility of Widmore having something to do with Aaron and taking him away. That's another possibility I hadn't considered, but that's a good thing to think about. And Christian, is he really dead once Locke took his place? Um, maybe. I think it depends whether or not Locke is actually back in ghost form, or if Locke is actually resurrected in full human body form, which I hope we'll find out soon and get some evidence one way or another on that. Here's a comment that was left on the blog by Ian in Ithaca. I've got to say this was definitely my favorite episode since season three. I watched it three times in succession, and an hour later I watched it again. I wish it had aired before 316. The opening scene with Caesar rummaging through Ben's office, and the reveal of Caesar and Alana walking past the plane and finding a mysteriously blanketed John Locke would have been one of those mind-blowing moments that make Lost my all-time favorite show. Did you guys notice that almost every place where Locke went had a religious name? Said was in Santo Domingo, Hurley was in Santa Rosa, Kate was in Los Angeles, Helen was buried in Santa Monica, and Jack's Hospital is St. Sebastian's. I was hoping that Walt was at some kind of religiously named school, but it was called the Fieldcroft School. Helen's date of death was 4806. Why did Ben kill John Locke when he said Eloise Hawking? I think he saved Locke because he needed to find out her name so he could get back to the island, but knows that John Locke had to die as to be the catalyst that starts the chain of events that would bring everyone back, the same way that Christian Shepherd's death was a catalyst that led to everyone being on Oceanic 815. Thank you, Ian, for your thoughts. Thanks for pointing out all the religious names. That is very interesting. And also Helen's date of death containing two of our favorite numbers. That was also very interesting. Those on-island scenes were really great. It's crazy how John Locke no matter what he's wearing on the island, he always just looks absolutely at home there, like he belongs there. Um, it was interesting when he had the blanket over his head, my first thought was that he looked like the Emperor from Star Wars. Oh, and also I, I was reminded of Star Wars um, when Ben killed Locke. I can't help but think of Star Wars anytime somebody throws a chain or a rope around somebody's neck and um, suffocates them to death. I always think of Princess Leia and Jabba the Hutt. Here's an email from Coke Logic. He also wrote in this week, and he says, The writers did it again, just when I think we're going to get some answers, with Ben being flashed into the 1970s, so he may possibly find his younger self and tell him all about future events to gain the upper hand on things to come. The writers are clever enough to keep Ben in the presumed present, so that meeting can never happen. Ugh, the writers are just too good. 
Something I'm hearing is that people believe, between the time Locke left and when Jack, Kate, and Hurley came back to the 1970s, three years have passed on the island. Where are people drawing this conclusion from? It could be Jin's first week on the job with Dharma. In my opinion, maybe two weeks or a month has passed, but a lot of people are confusing the three years off-island for the Oceanic Six, assuming the left-behinds must have passed the same amount of time. I don't think that's the case at all. What are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts, I think I've said a little bit about this earlier and on the previous podcast, I started counting time for the people on the island when Ben kind of got spit out of the frozen donkey wheel, which was in October of 2005, so about 10 months after the Oceanic 6 left the island. I start dating it from that time. I'd like it if it would be shorter because um, it is kind of painful to think about um, how long these people have been on the island, thinking they're stuck there forever, thinking they're never going to see their friends again, um, although that could also make the reunions that much better when they do finally see them again in the 1970s. So I think it was about two years or so, the three years that the Oceanic Six were gone, minus the ten months that Ben spent in the wheel, but I'm not sure how the fact that Locke was missing, basically, off the earth for three years, and then suddenly showed up in the desert in Tunisia, I'm not sure how that would affect that theory. Here are a few thoughts that were left on the blog by DJ Chow. Abaddon could be a person, like Walt, who just has special powers to get where he needs to go and finds out what he needs to know. I hate to think he's dead, but him being on the show Fringe, I guess they brought him in to wrap up his storyline. So this is my theory of why some people flashed to the past and some stayed in the present in the airplane. Miss Hawking always said that the universe has a way to course correct itself, so I'm guessing that Jack, Kate Hurley, and probably Saeed were always meant to be back in Dharma days because it already happened. Just like how Jin prevented Danielle from getting the sickness and Locke telling Richard about meeting him at birth. We will find out the Losties have a large impact on creating the timeline that is currently in place. And people like Sun, Lapidus, Ben, and Locke were never meant to go back in the past because they were never supposed to. Thanks, DJ Chow. This is some pretty mind-boggling stuff. The whole timeline and what's supposed to happen and what really happened and how the timeline works out, it's all, it's all pretty confusing, but I think you have some good ideas here about how that happens. And if it's true, like you said, that the Losties have an impact on creating this timeline, does that mean that they're all special, like Desmond? Um, is there something about them that they can bend time around themselves, in, in a sense, instead of um, having to be stuck in linear time moving forward in a certain way? And I can't help but wonder what exactly they are going to change in the past being there. And especially the people who we think have been there for a while, the people who are stuck on the island during the flashes, who knows what their presence there will change? Who knows what kind of jobs they'll be doing or who they'll be running into? Um, I think we assume that Daniel's going to run into young Charlotte at some point, and that's going to make a difference for her. But, you know, what else are they going to change? I think there are a lot of possibilities for them to change or alter the timeline or at least implant memories in people's minds. Here's some more comments from the blog. These were left by Jason. I am glad that 316 aired before this episode. I don't think they could be shown in either order. The on-island lock stuff wouldn't have made any sense to me. I am not sure how I feel about the life and death of Jeremy Bentham, mostly just confused. Why did Ben talk Locke out of suicide and then kill him? With all the religious elements in the story lately, I wonder if Ben thought he was saving Locke's soul. So, is Widmore good? Is Ben bad? Do we really have any idea what to think about these two? Goodbye, Abaddon, we hardly knew ye. I guess his claim to fame was just being Widmore's flunky. Hey, Jason, that rhymed. Good old Walt. Wow, he is going to school and apparently not freaking people out with his mad bird-killing skills. Does anyone care about Walt? I know I don't. 
Well, I do, Jason. I care about Walt. I want to find out more about his story. I want him to go back to the island and do whatever it is that he has these special skills to do. I think there's more to it than just killing birds. Um, but that's some sort of side effect to whatever it is that he can do. Okay, thanks everyone for your comments. You can write in any time to anna.in.indiana at gmail.com. You can always leave a comment on the blog, which is annainindiana.wordpress.com. And you can always call in and leave a voicemail at 646-495-9205, extension 35382. There are a few more comments from the blog that I'm going to get to, but... Um, Denise was involved in some of these comments, so we're just going to save that for when she's here and discuss those in detail. Good to see you back here again. Yeah, it's great to be back. How did you like the life and death of Jeremy Bentham? My head was totally spinning. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know what to think, and I had to rewatch it last night because there's no way that I could even understand it with just one viewing. Yeah, it was great. I think head spinning was the predominant adjective to describe the yeah, episode. Yes, it was fabulous. Sure. Um, we've got some feedback. It looks like you were talking back and forth with Jason on the blog, and so. Um, we're going to address that here. I'm just going to read this comment from Jason, and then you can uh, go to town with your <laughs> thoughts about Locke's leg. Um, here's another thing that seemed weird to me, Jason says. Do people that have suffered a compound fracture usually get a walking cast? Would Locke really be able to put any weight on it at all? And I wonder if it is common practice for the mortician or whoever to remove a cast from the broken limb of a dead person. Because, as we saw in 316, when Jack is putting his father's shoes on Locke, the cast is gone so the bone couldn't have had time to heal before Locke's death, does that mean that upon return to the island the bone was magically healed? I guess compared to resurrection, a leg bone is small potatoes. Well, yeah, I would say that definitely if you have a compound fracture of the tibia, it's not going to heal fast enough for him to put weight on it. Um, from what I was looking up online, it seems like he'd have a pretty long recovery, especially due to the fact that he is older. I mean, maybe if he has a little bit of special island healing power, mm -hmm. it can improve that time. But still, you're not going to... You have to regrow bone for this. And you might have to get rods and pins through your leg, mm -hmm. through the middle of the bone. He's just not going to be able to put weight on it. And he'd probably even have some knee problems with where the fracture was. Mm -hmm. I can't help being a nerd, guys. Sorry, it's what I do. But... <laughs> Um, so yeah, I think that you're definitely right there, Jason. There's no way he'd be walking on that yet. Now, what do you think about the fact that he showed up in what's most likely another pocket of electromagnetic exotic matter or whatever, you know, whatever was on the island that healed him the first time from his paralysis? Do you think it's possible that the place where he was in that little hospital type of place was, had the same sort of powers? It might have. Um, we don't know if any place off the island has the special healing magic, although they have kind of talked about it with that healer in Australia mm -hmm. and Rose. But still, I mean, that would be some pretty serious healing because he would have such a chance of infections and other problems that, mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, it'll probably speed it up, but I don't think it would be as fast as they're thinking with the walking cast. Yeah, I'm just thinking of that time when Rose went up to Locke and he was hurt 
in one of the previous seasons, and she said, well, honey, you and I both know it's not going to take that long. Not that he's healed spontaneously, right. necessarily, from an injury that he maintains, but um, that he gets healed a lot faster than a normal person would heal. Yeah. Well, hopefully sometime soon we'll get answers on if other pockets like this have special healing powers, mm-hmm. because I would really like to find that out. Yeah. And, you know, if I ever get cancer, I'll go on a vacation to those places. <laughs> But um, another thing to be a total anatomy geek about that I had a problem with was with Ben strangling Locke and them considering it a suicide. Unless Ben has people working at the ME's office, which, I mean, he very well might, but there's almost no way that they could look at John's injuries and call that a suicide. Mm. Because there's a bone in your throat somewhere called the hyoid bone, and that only usually gets broken if you're strangled. It's not really going to break if you get hung because that gives you a different sort of an injury. And there's different injuries that you can get with falling different heights with hanging, but one of the most common ones is called the hangman's fracture, and that's actually severing the spinal cord between the first two vertebra, the atlas and the axis, which is C1 and C2. But that doesn't always happen with a suicide, but still, I mean... If he was strangled, his tongue's going to be bulging out, his his face is going to be blue. Mm. It's just, it's not going to be the same. Yeah, because he looked pretty normal in the coffin. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they put makeup on him in coffins and everything, make him look good. But that's just me being a nerd, and I can't help that. Now, would they do an autopsy for a suicide? They might. But it doesn't appear that they did one for Locke. Well, you, you wouldn't see the autopsy incisions with him in a suit. Because for the most part, it's all in the thoracic region. That's true. So would they check for that hyoid bone then? Um, They would on CSI. I mean, I've only (laughs) seen like one episode of it, but it actually specifically mentioned um, hyoid bone fracture with strangulation. That's how they knew that that wasn't a suicide. Wow. All right. Now, as we've been recording this, we got a comment on the blog from someone who hasn't written in yet, but he's a co-worker of ours named Chris. And what he has to say is pretty straightforward, but it's an argument that we've been having. And he says, Ben is evil. Ben is definitely evil, but we don't know if he's being evil for the greater good or if he's just straight (laughs) up evil. That's what I try to tell Chris. I think he's being evil for some greater purpose. And I think he has some sort of justification for what he's doing that's, if it's not a good justification for why he's doing it, it's at least better than Widmore's. And significantly better than Widmore's. I don't trust Widmore, but I would trust Ben, I think. I don't think I trust either of them. Because Ben looked pretty sketchy. Like, whenever John was like, hey, you know, I have Jen's wedding ring. And Ben's like, oh, hey there. Yeah, he did have that plotting look on his face. And he showed up with some sort of cleaning solution already. (laughs) So he had to have had some sort of plan in mind. Well, we don't know he showed up with it, do we? Usually hotel rooms don't have big blue bottles. Yeah, but he could have gotten gone out and gotten it later. I I thought his hands were empty when he came in because he busted down the door and then shut the door. I don't know, but I thought that that was very premeditated of him. It was, and of course we don't know if he's killing him for his own uses or if he's killing him for the island. Right. So you know that's part of his whole thing. Like you have to die to save the island. Mm -hmm. Is he killing him because of that, or is he killing him to be selfish? Right. But Widmore, I mean, he's not exactly your top-notch character. He, as John said to him, 
you sent a boatload of C4 to the island, you know, Widmore was the one who was planning to kill everyone, whereas Ben has always been the more compassionate person, to some extent, saying, well, I'm only going to hurt the people that I need to hurt, I'm not going to hurt these innocent people, and Widmore doesn't seem to care. But do we know that Widmore specifically wanted the C4 on there, or was that Kimi being an absolute psycho? I don't know about that, but I think that Widmore probably knew what he was getting into when he hired Kimi. Yeah, because Kimi's a nutter. Yes, and I'm sure he must have known that going into it. Yeah, but I mean, physically, we haven't seen Widmore hurt anybody but that person on the videotape. True. So I'm kind of inclined to believe Widmore a little bit, but, you know, we've been trained this whole time, Widmore's bad, Widmore's bad, that Mm -hmm. I don't really know what to think, but... I'm at least willing to give him a little bit of a benefit of the doubt. Only a little bit? Only a little because he's Penny's dad. Yeah, because I like That's Penny. That's about it. But, I mean, it's it's too early to say who's evil and who's not. Maybe they're, maybe they're both evil. Yeah, that could be. And they're just evil in different ways and complementary ways. <laughs> okay, so there was a lot of discussion last season about Abaddon and what his name represents and uh-huh. who he might be. Mm-hmm. So what did you think about seeing him this week again? Well, he's still pretty mysterious, and it's sad now that he's dead, but we did get a sort of a clarification on what his job is. Mm -hmm. He said that he helps people get to where they are supposed to be. Um, That doesn't really answer the question of how does he know where they're supposed to be, or when they're supposed to be there, you know? Um, And that's also interesting because he told Locke to go on the walkabout, but he didn't tell him when, you know? Um, Locke was probably out of the hospital for years by the time he decided to go on a walkabout. Because he was in the wheelchair for four years, and I'm guessing, what, half a year, a year in rehab, maybe? And then back to real life. So Mm -hmm. it probably took him years after this initial meeting with Abaddon for him to actually say, all right, I've saved the money, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to Australia and do this walkabout. Yeah, I was was kind of thinking of Abaddon as sort of like the fate police, (laughs) since he seems to know where people need to end up. Mm -hmm. And... You know, may, we don't know what caused John to pick that flight to go on that walkabout. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if we'll ever see that, but maybe there was some sort of impetus to get him to pick that one. Yeah. Abaddon asked some interesting questions in this episode. He asked Locke whether or not his death was inevitable, you know, or whether or not he had a choice. What do you think about that? I thought that the idea of fate versus choice was really interesting because... You know, I'm not even sure that we know if John was 100% choosing to die then. I mean, he was really upset by what Jack said about him being completely worthless, basically. Right. And I was really mad at Jack for that. I thought that was awfully mean, especially since Jack looked pretty high Mm -hmm. at the time. But hopefully that wouldn't be enough to cause John to kill himself straight away. I mean, maybe the idea that he needed to die for the island kind of put that into his head, but I would hope that he wouldn't go that far just on his own. Yeah, I think that's another area where we almost get into a paradox, because Richard is the one who told John he needed to die, and then John's the one who went and told Richard that he said he was supposed to die, which could have planted the idea. But I wonder if Christian Shepard knew about this too, because he tells John that's why they call it a sacrifice. He doesn't seem surprised by the fact that Locke knows he's supposed to die um, in order to get people back to the island. And so this made me wonder, does Christian Shepard know the future to some extent? Or does Jacob or whoever, you know, whatever is involved here, do they know the future? 
maybe since Walt seems to know the future, they have some sort of mind connection between the two of them. Mm. Walt kind of dreams the stuff and somehow it gets back to Christian. Huh. But you're not saying that Walt dreams it and it happens on the island. That that very well might be the case also. We just don't know enough about Walt's powers yet. That's true. But I thought it was really crazy whenever Walt dreamed that all the people wanted to hurt John. Yeah, and then John was so like friendly with everyone. Yeah. I don't know. I don't trust the new people. I don't trust Caesar and Alana. Right. They just, they seem totally sketchy. Mm-hmm. And I totally called it on Caesar being Widmore. And I figured that Alana probably was too. Mm-hmm. What did you think about that? I think either they're both working for one or the other, Ben, or Widmore, or one's working for each of them. Yeah, because they don't really seem to trust each other. Right, not at all. But they seem to at least be familiar with each other. Like, she's like, oh, I don't have the passenger list. Go ask Caesar. Like, why would he have it? Yeah, it seems like they kind of just took charge, though, after Mm -hmm. the plane went down. So I wonder if, if she's completely an actor just acting like she was a marshal, or if she really is a marshal that's on Widmore's pay list. Mm, good question. Or Ben's pay list, because we don't really know. Yeah. So, Denise, you tell me you have an interesting thought about um, Helen. Yeah. Um, Abaddon said that she died from a brain aneurysm, which supposedly, that's what the people suffering with temporal sickness are dying of, ah. is brain aneurysms. So I was wondering if there was a connection there. Huh. But I was also wondering... Is she actually dead, or is that tombstone just placed there to show John that he Mm. has no reason to stay back in the real world? Yeah. What do you think about that? That's a possibility, I think. And with Abaddon kind of delaying and saying, I couldn't find her, and then saying, okay, I will find her for you now, Mm -hmm. I think that um, he would have had time to have a fake tombstone put up. Yeah. And I could see Woodmore doing that. Since Abaddon's on his payroll. Yeah, I mean, if he faked the whole plane to be, like, Oceanic 815 in the trench... Yeah, I I mean... I mean, a tombstone's no big deal. That's, like, five minutes' work in comparison. Yeah, yeah. So, I just... I really did, like, the whole thing about the brain aneurysm because it had to have meant something if they said it and kind of dwelled on that a little bit. That's a good catch, Denise. Yeah, one more kind of medical-ish thing that I noticed is whenever they were in the hydro station at the end showing all the wounded people, Uh at least one person there had a pretty serious-looking arm splint going on. Yeah. So I was wondering if that meant that there was another doctor on the plane. Oh, that's interesting, because who else would have the know-how to do that? Mm Mm-hmm. And if they have the surgery station over around there... Where Ben's surgery was done in the hydra. Yeah. Yeah, they'd have all the materials to Mm -hmm. do something like that, but somebody would have to be there who would have the know-how. Yeah. So I wonder if, to kind of go along with one of my theories from last week, if the island is bringing a whole new batch of people to keep, kind Mm. of, if it brought another doctor. That could be. Yeah. I also noticed in that scene that there was a really creepy guy facing backwards whenever we were looking at Ben and Caesar, and he was just kind of standing in the corner looking away And it reminded me so much of the Blair Witch Project that it totally gave me goosebumps. Huh. I didn't notice that guy. I noticed there was a guy facing out towards them. Yeah, this guy was facing away. Huh. And he was just kind of standing there in the dark, and it was really creepy. That's weird. I'm going to have to look for that next time I watch it. Yeah, you totally should. So, Denise, to continue on with the on-island stuff, who do you think went with Lapidus in the boat? Um, the best guess that I can give is probably Sun. Do you think so? Mm-hmm. That seems to be the prevailing opinion. Because, I mean, that's the only person on the plane that he would know. And right. it 
why else would he escape with some random person that he doesn't know? Exactly, exactly. It makes a lot of sense, I think. Yeah, but that brings up the question of why Sun would be in the present time rather than in the past. Yeah, what do you think? I think that maybe she got stuck in the present because she didn't bring Ji Yeon back with her. Huh. Because, you know, that is a pretty significant change from leaving the island, especially if she was quite possibly even halfway through her pregnancy. It, if she left maybe when Ji Yeon was 23 weeks or something, whatever the age of viability is, mm-hmm. maybe not bringing her back could really throw things off. Interesting. Or maybe it's... Um that her connection is more in the present time than in the past. I mean, Mm -hmm. obviously she loves Jin, but maybe the mother-daughter bond prevents her somehow. You know, the island sees it and knows, okay, I can't move her back. I can't move her away from some sort of tie to her child. Yeah, it doesn't want to have a poor abandoned child like that. Right. Whereas with Aaron, it wouldn't care, you know, because Kate's not really the mother. Right. Denise, what do you think about finding out so much of Widmore's history. I mean, he kind of gives a rundown, like, well, I was 17 the first time I met you. I led the island for 30 years. Um, I got exiled by Ben. What did you make of all that? Well, first of all, it made me think that Widmore didn't know about the time jumping mm-hmm. because he was just so shocked that Locke was the same age as he was when he met him. So I thought that was really weird and really interesting that someone who led the island for 30 years didn't know about the time travel properties. Richards didn't seem to know about it either, though. Yeah. When Locke appeared to him the first time, so maybe this is something really unusual. So do you think that Widmore only just figured it out when he was sitting there by Locke's bedside talking to him? He might have, actually, since supposedly Alpert isn't a time traveler anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe Widmore had just kind of sent him to look for this guy and kind of keep tabs on him to figure out maybe if he was, Widmore was going crazy or something. Yeah, I wonder if it took Widmore three years to appear back in the real world, because it took Locke three years, right, before he showed up in Tunisia. I wonder if it took Widmore that long. It might have. And I wonder, I wonder if Widmore showed up in the same place and that's why he decided to make the little spy camera thing. Yeah. Then why did Ben end up someplace different? Is it because he and Locke couldn't appear in the same place or that wasn't his spot because there are different spots for people like the place at Isaac of Aluru that wasn't Rose's spot? Maybe it was more because Ben wasn't supposed to be moving the island, that mm-hmm. he came out kind of in the wrong spot. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought of that. That makes sense to me. Because, I mean, Christian says that Ben wasn't supposed to do it and mm-hmm. now basically everything's all messed up. So maybe that's why he came out in a different spot and then Locke came out where he was supposed to. Yeah. Along with the 30 years, when do you think he started ruling? Because I was kind of trying to figure this out. Is it 30 years ending at the Purge or did it end somewhere before the Purge? Hmm. Yeah, we have his 17-year-old Widmore in 1954. Uh-huh. But I think he's too young and immature to start leading at that point. So I think it would start a little later. But if he's gone before the purge, that doesn't leave a lot of time. You yeah. Know, there's not a, a lot of leeway there. Um, I wonder if maybe Ben exiled him before the purge because whatever rules these are, uh-huh. the rules still applied back then. And Ben couldn't kill him, so he had to exile him in order to help with the purge and kill everyone else. Maybe. This is a little crazy and off the top of my head, but maybe you can't kill leaders of the island. And that's why John got resurrected. 
because he's supposed to be the leader of the island, so huh. he can't be fully killed. Ben can't kill Widmore. Widmore can't kill Ben. Maybe, so, maybe you can't kill a leader. So then would you think that they would die of old age eventually, or they just stay on the island forever like Richard? Maybe they rule for so long, and then they have to step down, but they can stay there and live forever if they want to, or they can go back to the real world and live out and die a natural death. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Because, you know, maybe Richard was the leader once upon a time. It He was done leading, and he just wanted to kind of hang out and chill and be an immortal, have fun with that. Mm. And, you know, maybe other leaders decided that they were done and just really did want to go out to the real world and live out their lives and die the natural way. I like this theory. I do, too. All right, well, we're going to transition into our character awards. Denise is going to stay here with me for this, um, because we were going to do something a little different this week. The episode really focused on John Locke, and I think that any character award poll we put up would be pretty pretty biased. Well, not like last week's wasn't biased, well, but Well, yes, it was a little biased, but <laughs> this one I think would be even more so. Um, but first, we'll give you the results from last week's poll, and then we'll uh, tell you about the poll for this week. So our options for last week were Frank Lapidus for getting a good, respectable job, or Hurley for buying those 78 seats to spare the lives of all those people, or at least the fates of all those people. And the winner was Hurley by a landslide, 92%, to Frank Lapidus's 8%. Denise, did you vote for Frank? I voted for Hurley. Okay. But if I could have had two votes, I would have voted for Lapidus also. Well, that would defeat the purpose of the poll. I know, but I, I feel bad for him because we knew Hurley was going to win. Yeah. But still, they're both awesome, but I did vote for Hurley. Yeah. Well, Frank's still around, so, you know, there's still hope. There's yeah. still time for him to uh, do something to impress us all. Yeah. And I think he will. Yeah. There's one comment with this poll. Roger said that even though he voted for Hurley, there was something else that Frank did that was worthy of mentioning, which I'm glad you pointed this out, Roger. Um, Roger says, when Frank came out to chat with Jack, he notices all the rest of the Oceanic Five, and he says, we're not going to Guam, are we? Now, I know that if that was me, I would go straight back into the cockpit and do everything I could to turn the plane around, probably completely freaking out as well. But when Frank saw them, he put on a brave face and accepted that this plane was going back to the island and there was nothing he could do about it. That's a good thing to point out. Thanks, Roger, for that. And Lapidus did an awesome job of landing the plane, even though it was sort of a crash landing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely. I wonder if there were any uh, casualties. They didn't really say. Like, there were the hurt people, but... Yeah, they didn't say anything about dead people. Yeah, they really didn't. So for this week's poll, we wanted to do a question about who do you trust more, Ben Linus or Charles Widmore? And it still does have to do with character a lot, I think, because it has to do with who's trustworthy, who's lying. Um, who's a better liar. Yes. So it does have to do a lot with character, but sort of a different take on it this week. So, um... I'm going to say a few reasons why I think people should vote for Benjamin Linus, and then Denise is going to counter with a couple reasons why you might want to vote for Charles Widmore. So I think that Benjamin Linus is a good choice for who to trust more, because I think he's lied less than Charles Widmore. I think that um, he has started to admit when he's wrong. He started to admit when he's lied. Um, I think that he is more compassionate. He worries about innocent people getting hurt. He does things kind of behind the scenes a lot. He um, has people watching all the Oceanic Six, but he's not open about it. He's not wanting recognition for this. He's not wanting too much thanks or praise for it, really. Um, he'll talk about it if it comes up, but other than that, he's not really mentioning it. Okay, you make some really good points there. <laughs> 
Um, I think the first point in Widmore's favor is if it is true that he really did lead the island peacefully for 30 years, then I think that that's a very good accomplishment. And then he hasn't physically harmed anybody that we know of except for that person in the videotape. Mm-hmm. But we don't know the circumstances of that videotape. True. So it might be completely warranted. Um, he did try to protect his daughter, even though, you know, he didn't know Desmond, but he just, he wanted what was best for his daughter. And I think that that's what any parent would want for their kid, is they would just want the best for them. We don't know why exactly he wants to find the island. Maybe he wants it for altruistic purposes, <laughs> not just to be selfish and like, yay, rah, I'm in charge. Um, yeah, he did hire Kimi, but did he plan for Kimi to go completely nutso on everyone? Did he plan for Kimi to have the C4? Mm. You know, maybe he just really wanted to get back because he misses the island and that's his home. And he has to kill everyone to do that, including a lot of innocent people? Yeah, but that's Kimi more than Widmore that we know of. Well, yeah, that we know of. And he did help John right whenever he got out of the wormhole or whatever you're going to call it (laughs) that ended in Tunisia. Right. And, you know, John still has use of his leg because of that. But he gave him Abaddon, which is a way of keeping eyes on him at all times, knowing everything John does, basically spying on him. And Abaddon lied to Locke. So he gave him an untrustworthy person. Well, I think that it'll be a while until we know who's telling the truth Mm -hmm. or really if anybody is. But I think that you could definitely make some good points for Widmore. And I think you could make some good points for Ben. Yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. Yes, and we'll see what you guys decide to vote for. You can find the poll by going to the blog, annainindiana.wordpress.com. You can click on the polls tab and find the correct poll. It should be the first one on the top of the list. Or you can probably find it in the episode release blog post. There should be a link to the poll there as well. So you can find the poll in one of those two ways. Go and let us know what you think by voting on the poll and also leave comments. Tell us why you picked the one you did. This could turn out to be a really interesting conversation, as Denise and I have just proved, because both of us are sitting here behind the scenes saying, you made some really good points, so I don't think we know who we would vote for. It could end up being pretty polarizing, too. Yes, it really could. So um, should be an interesting poll this week. Um, I don't usually vote, but I might have to vote this week. So You should. Yeah, I'll have to think about that. Uh, that wraps up our episode. Thanks for being here, Denise. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Thank you all for listening out there. We'll see you back here next week. The music in this episode was provided by the Pod Show Podsafe Music Network. Check them out at music.podshow.com.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.